0: We are turning this morning uh, once more to John chapter 19, and we'll begin reading in verse 23. John 19, 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to decide whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus then saw his mother... And the disciple, whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Father, we do pray now that these words, 2,000 years old, would be fresh and vital to us again today. God, thank you that they are ever true, and we pray that they would change us, that they would move us that we would be drawn to your Son and drawn into deeper love of you for him. And we ask in his name. Amen. With these words, it is finished. We've come this morning to the sixth of Jesus' seven sayings from the cross. Just three words in the English, it is finished. But actually those three words uh, in the English come from just one Greek word just one word Jesus speaks here and it's a remarkable word indeed it is finished now we all love to be able to come to the end of some arduous and important task and be able to say what Jesus says here it's finished and even more as believers surely what a joy it will be to come to the end of that arduous and important task that is life live to the glory of God And to be able to say at the end of it all, with satisfaction, what Jesus says here, it is finished. We all long, I hope, to say with the Apostle Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. What a victory it will be if at the end of our lives we can speak like Jesus speaks here or like Paul could speak at the end of his life. And what a thrill to have the privilege of watching other believers finish well also. But if that's a thrill... For us to finish well, or for us to watch a loved one finish well, how much more thrilling should it be to see Jesus, our Savior, come to the end of the most arduous human life that was ever lived, to finish the most difficult course that anyone ever walked, to undertake and complete the most important task that anyone was ever given, and to be able to say at the end of it all, It is finished. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. Isn't it wonderful to hear these words from Jesus, to see how he finishes? He says, I've done all that the Father has asked me to do. I've fulfilled all that needed to be fulfilled. I've suffered all that needed to be suffered. I've left no task unfinished. I've left no stone unturned in doing my Father's will. I've left no commandment unfulfilled. I have left nothing on the table. It is finished. Only Jesus could say those words with absolute certainty and perfection, right? And here we find him saying them for all to hear, not just all at the cross, but all generations since then. It is finished. Theologians and Bible teachers have taken to calling this sixth saying of Jesus from the cross the word of victory. So we've heard five sayings so far as Jesus hung there on the cross. We've heard the word of forgiveness Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. We've heard the word of salvation. Today you shall be with me in paradise. The word of affection toward his mother, woman, behold your son. And then towards John, behold your mother. The word of anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We've heard the word of suffering, I thirst. And now, having, having spoken all the other words that it was necessary for him to speak, having accomplished all that he needed to accomplish, we're told in verse 28, Jesus can now utter this word of victory. It is finished. And again I say, it should fill our hearts with godly joy to see our Savior finish the course, to hear his victory cry here in John nineteen thirty. 30. It should also, this sixth word from the cross, fill our hearts with godly jealousy. These words of Jesus should make us long, as I said, in some measure to finish like him, to come to the end of our own lives and be able to say imperfectly, but genuinely, I fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. But there's something else marvelous in these words, it is finished. Something else that they ought to do to us, and that's where we'll focus our time the rest of this morning. Namely, these words, it is finished, ought to pose the question in our minds what is finished? What is finished? What exactly did Jesus bring to completion as he gave up his spirit that day at the place called the skull? What is finished? It's not as quick and easy of an answer as we might think. It's actually uh, a very colored answer, a many-shaped and sided answer, and I want to try to answer it for you in several parts today. What is finished as Jesus bows his head and gives up his spirit? Well, first, with this sixth word from the cross, we should say that Jesus' suffering is finished. His suffering is finally finished. I think this would perhaps have been the most obvious application of Jesus' words to those people who were standing there that day watching him die. He had been suffering so excruciatingly, and now as he bows his head in verse 30, it is finished. He had endured the taunts of the crowds for hours and really for years in many ways, but now it is finished. He hung there and endured the pain of seeing only one of his disciples who followed him all the way to the end. But now in verse 30, that pain is finished. Jesus, you remember, had been repeatedly slapped in the face. He had been beaten in the head with reeds. And we can imagine as he hung there on the cross, the concussed pain that he must have felt in his head. But when he finally bows his sacred head, here in verse 30, the pain is finished. Jammed down upon that bruised and bleeding head was the crown of thorns with blood running into his eyes and into his mouth. But that too now is finished. His back had been flayed open with a cat of nine tails, a whip with shards of glass and metal and stone on the ninefold end of that whip. So that every time he pushed up on that cross to gasp for air, the rough wood of the cross gouged ever deeper into his open flesh. But now that suffering is finished. His hands and his feet must have felt like they were being burned with hot coals, but now it's finished. His tongue was cleaving to his jaw with dehydration, we're told. His joints were being yanked out of socket. His heart was pumping so hard to keep up with his lack of breath that it eventually felt like it was melting like wax within him. His face was covered with his accuser's spit. He had his beard plucked out by them. But now, praise the Lord, of all these things, Jesus can say, it is finished. And worst suffering of all, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, you remember, darkness covered the land. The darkness of God's judgment against the sin bearer. The darkness of God forsaking his own son to the agonies of hell and not coming to rescue him when he cried out for mercy. And now... Mercy finally comes. Now that suffering too is finished. Now Mary and John and the other handful of faithful people standing around the cross could breathe a sigh of relief. Jesus' suffering, the greatest suffering that ever any human being endured, is finally complete. And it's complete not just for the moment, but for eternity. Jesus would never suffer again because he rose, remember, on the third day with a new heavenly body that is unliable to death and unliable to pain and unliable to suffering. All of these things for the risen Jesus were that day forever finished. It's a marvelous thing. Jesus' suffering is finally finished. And let me say that for those who belong to him, the same will be true of us someday as well. No matter what you suffer now, If you're in Christ, the day will come when you will be able to save your suffering. It is finished. And I heard a loud voice, Revelation 21, from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe every tear away from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That day really is coming for those who believe on Christ. The day when you'll be able to save your suffering. It is finished. Because Jesus endured the agonies of God's wrath on our behalf. For those who believe there is no more suffering beyond the grave. It is finished. And Jesus here is the marvelous first fruits of that new resurrection life. When he finished his course in this world. With this sixth word from the cross. Jesus' suffering was finished. But secondly, with this sixth word, I want you to see that Jesus' public ministry is finished as well. His public ministry is now finished. We're told this in verse 28, are we not? All things had already been accomplished. What does that mean, all things? Well, certainly in verse 28, his death hadn't yet been accomplished, nor his resurrection, nor his return. So, what does Paul mean, or excuse me, what does John mean when he says all things? had already been accomplished. What did Jesus have in mind when he realized that all things were accomplished? Well, all things in relation to the work that God had given him to do in his public ministry. There was something that Jesus knew he had completed. There was something of which he could say, I've finished this task. Namely, his public ministry to the masses in Israel. These are the last words that Jesus will speak to the general public. Now, yes, as we'll see on Wednesday, he bows his head. And when he bows his head, we're told in the book of Luke that he utters one more word, one more saying. But that word, that final saying is spoken to his father, not to the public. And yes, we know after his resurrection, Jesus spoke more words. But the words that Jesus spoke after his resurrection seem to have been directed only at his followers. This Jesus, who had spent three years traversing the country, teaching all and sundry, healing all and sundry, showing compassion on the hungry and the poor, dealing with massive crowds, now brings that public ministry, those words that he spoke for all to hear, to a close with these final words, it is finished. No more will the crowds see his face. No more will the crowds hear his voice. No more will they be able to just touch the hem of his garment and be made well. The three most amazing years in earth's history are now finished. Who will go on teaching the masses? Who will go on speaking to the public about Jesus? Who will go on healing the sick and feeding the hungry and so on? Jesus' public ministry is finished. Who will do the task? Well, before he said it was finished, Jesus told his disciples, I'm leaving this ministry public ministry in your hands, and I'm sending the Holy Spirit to be your helper. And so just note well that with these words, it is finished. Jesus' public ministry is finished, but our public ministry has just begun, and there's still work for us to do while he awaits his return. Thirdly, let's notice that with Jesus' sixth word from the cross, his obedience to his Father is finished. His obedience to the Father is finished. Now, let's not misunderstand. It's not to say that Jesus no longer had to obey his Father after these words. Of course, Jesus always has obeyed his Father, and he always will, as he said, do only what the Father tells him. But the point is that John 19 is the high point. The cross is the ultimate test of Jesus' obedience. The Bible, you may remember, teaches us that Jesus, Luke chapter 2, grew in favor with God. He grew in his obedience to God. And Hebrews 5 tells us that he learned obedience. He learned obedience and he grew in it. Now, that's not to say that Jesus grew from being disobedient to being obedient. But what happened in Jesus' life over the course of those years is he grew from one level of obedience with simple commands that God gave him, to another level of obedience with more difficult commands, to another level with even more difficult commands, and so on. God put before Jesus an ever-increasing set of challenges to obey. The tasks to which he was called were more and more and more difficult. And the question is, what was the penultimate test? According to Philippians 2, what was the most difficult portion of the father's exam? What was the greatest obedience to which Jesus was ever called? What was the height of the mountain? Well, again, Philippians 2 tells us that the greatest obedience that Jesus or anyone else was ever called to was that he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This, what we've been reading about, what we've been witnessing is the hardest thing that Jesus or anyone else ever had to do. Not just the physical suffering of it, but remember the suffering of Jesus' soul who undertook God's wrath on our behalf and who was forsaken and who cried out and there was none to deliver. It's an amazing obedience that the Father calls the Son to. Perhaps you can imagine, maybe the angels in heaven held their breath wondering if he would stay the course. Maybe Satan and his demons held theirs too, hoping that they would finally win the day. Would Jesus be able to hold on and trust his Father and obey his Father now at the most difficult point that anyone will ever come to, to the point of death, even the death of a cross? Perhaps the question of whether he would hold on still lingered in the air as he asked for relief from his thirst in verse 28. But then we read in verse 30, When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And now the angels could exhale. Now the hopes of the dark forces were dashed completely. And Jesus had been pushed as far as human life can be pushed. He had been asked the ultimate in obedience from his Father. He had been stretched to his breaking point and he'd held firm. He'd obeyed God. And now the great challenge of doing all that his Father commanded was done of keeping the law perfectly and not failing in a single point was done the challenge of being tempted in all things as you are and i am without sin was done and becoming one of death even death on a cross was done jesus can now say of his task of ultimate obedience to his father it is finished it is finished so then this sixth word from the cross signifies that jesus perfect obedience to his father is complete. It is finished. But then fourthly, I want you to notice that John 19.30 reminds us that with Jesus' dying breaths, so many of the Old Testament prophecies are finished as well. So many of the Old Testament prophecies are finished. They are fulfilled as Jesus bows his head in John 19.30. We noted last Sunday how much of what we see in the final hours of Jesus' life is prophesied with great clarity in the Old Testament. We looked at Psalm 22. Let me just read you a portion of it again. Jesus said this, and the psalmist prophesied it. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip They wag the head, saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look. They stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing They cast lots. Isn't that exactly what happened? The same thing in Isaiah 52 and 53. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of man. We've seen that, haven't we? He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. We have seen that. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, as in when he was accused before Pilate. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. We've seen it all happening before our eyes, haven't we? The prophecies are being completed. They're being fulfilled. We even noticed last week Psalm 69, 21 specifically. Excuse me, on Wednesday we noted it specifically. For my thirst they gave me vinegar or sour wine to drink. And we've seen that here in John 19 fulfilled as well. There are other places that we could turn to to demonstrate the same thing. The prophecies of the Old Testament are coming to completion in this event. So many of them. In fact, it's no accident that Jesus waits until each of these prophecies of his death are fulfilled before he says it is finished. In fact, the Apostle John, our narrator here in John 19, makes a point of telling us in verse 30 that it was only when Jesus had received the sour wine that he said, it is finished. Some people have speculated, well, it was finally when he got a little bit of moisture on his lips that he was able to say these very important words. And that may be true. But the reason why he waited until he got the sour wine to say it is finished is because it wasn't finished until the prophecy came true. Jesus was keenly aware of what was going on around him. He was keenly aware of what the scripture said about him. And he would not bow his head and he would not give up his spirit until all was fulfilled. And let me just say, as an aside, it's important to notice that Jesus did give up his spirit. John does not simply tell us that Jesus died, but that he decided to die. Jesus died when and how he chose to die. As he said earlier in this same gospel, no one takes my life from me. I lay it myself. I lay it down myself. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it back up again. And that's important to notice here. Jesus does not simply die. He by his own volition, gives up his spirit. He decides when he will die. And that's important to notice because he does not decide that he will give up his spirit until all things are complete. He does not say it is finished. He does not lay down his life and give up his spirit until all the prophecies connected to his death have been fulfilled. He is in absolute control of the situation and absolute earnest to fulfill God's words. In fact, we saw last week that Jesus seems to have announced Psalm 22 to the crowds. You remember that books and chapters in the Bible in those days weren't numbered. They were known by the first line of the book or the first line of the chapter. And so if you wanted to point someone's attention to Psalm 22, you would quote the first line of that psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it seems that perhaps that's what Jesus was doing when he said those words. Turn to Psalm 22 in your mind's eye, and some of the people perhaps turned to Psalm 22 in their mind's eye and thought about what the psalm said. And then, after a few moments, Jesus now says to them, "It is finished. All that that psalm prophesies concerning the Messiah—you've seen it happen before your very eyes." I am the one you've been waiting for. Psalm 22 is finished. In other words, when Jesus says it's finished, He is partly speaking of all these Old Testament prophecies. Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 53, and so on. He is telling the Jewish people, in other words, you need no longer wait for the Messiah. You need look for no one else. Think of Psalm 22, he says. Think of Isaiah 53. Think even of Psalm 69, 21. They gave me sour wine for my thirst. Those prophecies are complete now, he says to the people. They await no further fulfillment. It is finished. Your Messiah has come. So we say that the Old Testament prophecies, so many of them are finished as Jesus gives up his spirit. Fifthly, let me point out that the words, it is finished, also announce that the Old Testament sacrificial system is finished as well. The sacrificial system is finished now. Up until this point in history, God's believing people had to go to the temple if they were to be sure that they could meet with God. God, in his mercy, often met with people on the side of a road or as Balaam rode on his donkey and in all sorts of ways. But the one way that you could go and meet with God, the one way that you could know that if I do this, God will come and meet with me, was to go to Jerusalem and to the temple. So that even perhaps you could, could have thought to yourself, well, where two or three of us will gather in the temple, God will be with us. But now that is finished. Now the word has become flesh and has tabernacled among us. Jesus has become the meeting place with God. And he says to us, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be also. So with this sixth word, the need for the temple is finished. Also, up until this point in history, God's faithful people offered animal sacrifices as a pledge of their belief in the great sacrifice that God himself would give them. But now that too is finished because as we are seeing here, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has been slain. He has shed his blood. He has made atonement. And now he bows his head in death. And there's no more need for the blood of bulls and goats or rams and heifers and so on. With the sixth word of Jesus, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament is finished. And up until this point in history, God's people required a priest as a go-between Standing in the gap between God and man. But this too is finished. For as the gospel writers tell us, when Jesus gave up his spirit, the temple veil was torn in two. That veil that always divided the presence of God from the presence of man. It was ripped in half. And now believers can come to God, we're told in Hebrews, through a new veil namely Jesus' flesh. There's no more veil, and there's no more priest between us and God, simply Jesus. And we can come direct to God through him. He has become the great high priest over the house of God, and our need for a human priest is now finished. The Old Testament sacrificial system, as Jesus breathes his last, is complete. Now be extremely careful not to misunderstand what I'm saying about the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints believed in the same Savior that we do, and they were saved in the same way that we are, by faith in Jesus. That's clear in the Scriptures. Abraham was justified, Paul says, by faith. But since Jesus had not come in the Old Testament, God gave the people these various symbols and shadows, the temple, the sacrifices, and the priests, to get them ready for the coming of that Savior. And now as we say that those things, those shadows are obsolete, we're not arguing that they were invalid or that they were somehow part and parcel of a different religion. No, not at all. The priests, the temple, the sacrifices were part of the same set of beliefs that we espouse, just in pictorial shadow form. In fact, it's surely helpful for us to go back into the Old Testament and look at the pictures and the shadows and compare them with what we know of Jesus in the New Testament, just as parents sometimes go back and look at the ultrasound pictures of their child even after the baby's born. In fact, you might almost think of the Old Testament system as similar to pregnancy. There are all sorts of things, wonderful things, that parents do as they await the arrival of the baby, right? They haven't yet seen his face, but they feel him or her kicking. They view the ultrasound pictures and study and study and study, try to convince themselves that uh, maybe I can see a little bit of my, my facial shape in this child. They listen to the heartbeat. They go to the birthing classes. There's all sorts of things that you do before the baby comes. And for those nine months, all of those things are completely valid and authentic and delightful. You wouldn't give them up. Indeed, As you do those things, though you're not seeing his face, you're still appreciating and loving the very same baby that you will soon hold in your arms. But when the baby comes, you don't go back and get another ultrasound, do you? When the baby comes, you don't go to the birthing class anymore. You may remember the ultrasound. You may look at the pictures for comparison's sake now that you can see her face. And you surely don't despise that God gave you all these little blessings along that nine-month journey. But now that you see the baby's face, you no longer live the lifestyle of the pregnancy. There's no more need to get ultrasound pictures. There's no more call to listen to the heartbeat now that you can see the face. The birthing classes have served their purpose, and they're finished. And so it is with the Old Testament system. It was good. It was perfect. It was delightful while it lasted. And it focused on the same Jesus that we now embrace in the New Testament. And our hearts are warmed when we go back and remember those days and look at those symbols. When we go back and look at the ultrasound pictures, as it were. Indeed, we ought to do that perhaps more often than we do. So the Old Testament is wonderful and helpful as we look back. But as a way of life, the Old Testament sacrificial system is finished. We no longer need to go looking for a priest to go between us and God. We no longer need to go to a certain physical location to have God's promise that he will meet with us. We no longer need to offer the blood of lambs when we sin because the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has come. And all of those shadows are now finished. Finally, let's say that with this sixth word from the cross, the payment for our sins is finished as well. The payment for our sins is finished. Perhaps this was the uppermost thing in Jesus' mind when he said these words. After all, it was for this reason, to make payment for sin, that he was on the cross in the first place, right? This was the reason that he endured all of those sufferings that we enumerated at the beginning. To pay for our sins. It was payment for sin that was the culmination of his public ministry, wasn't it? It was so that he could make payment for sin that it was so important that he be perfectly obedient to his Father. It was to this payment for sin that all those Old Testament prophecies that we read pointed. He was pierced. Why? For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It was payment for sin that all those Old Testament sacrifices looked toward as well. This is why he came to make atonement for our sins, to satisfy God's wrath, to bring about salvation, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now, surely, that is the uppermost thing on his mind as he says these marvelous words. Oh, they ought to be marvelous to us. It is finished. The payment for your sin, Jesus says, is finished. You may be interested to know that the Greek word that is here translated finished can also be translated to pay what is due. They use the same word to say, I've finished the project or I've paid the debt. In fact, this very same word is used in this way in Matthew 17 and in Romans 13 to talk about paying your taxes. You send in the bill in April and you say, it's finished. It's paid. It's the same word here. And perhaps Jesus is using the word with that sense in mind as he pronounces it from the cross. It is finished, he says. The debt is paid. In fact, some of you have been to the Creation Museum. And you know in the gospel presentation that comes at the end of the museum tour, there's a Roman soldier standing at the foot of the cross telling what he remembers from that scene. And as he describes these words, it is finished, he says, it was like a receipt stamp. Paid in full. And that's exactly what happened at the cross, isn't it? Paid in full. All of the sins of all God's believing people for all time were paid in full that day at the cross. Even sins that you have not yet committed. When it comes to the payment for your sins, it is finished. There will be no need when you die to go to purgatory to be further cleansed for your iniquities. It is finished. As we saw with the thief on the cross, you do not need the waters of baptism to wash away your sins. It's finished. And when you stumble into sin again this afternoon, there will be no need for you to do some act of penance, to find some way to make up for your sin, to prove yourself to God again, to pay him back for forgiving you. No, it is finished. All the debt that you required is paid in full. Indeed, we should even say that though both our faith in Christ and our repentance of sin are necessary for salvation, it is neither the commitment of faith nor the tears of repentance that wash away our sins. No, the atonement for sins is already finished. Our privilege is simply to receive it by faith. It is finished. That's why we sometimes sing when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward, I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. When I'm tempted to despair because of my sin, I don't look at my faith. I don't look at my repentance. I don't try to make up for my sins. I look to him who made an end of them. And I say with him, thank God it is finished the receipt of your debts against God has been stamped in Jesus' blood, paid in full. It has been stamped with God's faithfulness. It is finished.